must be able to communicate at all levels within the business, from board to shop floor. It's a statement that's on nearly every health and safety professional's job application, but has anyone actually taught us how to communicate? It's a huge challenge for us, but do we really know how to do it? Let's get into today's podcast where we're talking all about communication. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Blue. What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. We're here to change the perception of health and safety and challenge those health and safety gone mad practices. So if you're new here, hit that subscribe button and all those buttons that do good stuff. Communication. It's a massive part of what we do as health and safety professionals, business leaders, managers, even in our personal life. You know, communication is vital and Something we're all pretty poor at, I find, um, including myself. You know, some of us are really bad at it, some of us are bad at it, but majoritively, all of us are bad at it, in my opinion. We are notoriously bad communicators, but we've never been taught how to communicate, have we? Has anyone actually sat you down and said, here's how you should communicate in this situation or in that situation or etc etc we're going to split this over a two-part episode so this is part one of our conversation with today's guest and the guest is sarah brummett she's a just an absolute legend when it comes to communication i came across sarah when i watched a keynote on digital hse congress um, and she was talking about how we communicate and how businesses need to communicate better and it was it was flawless. Ironically, she communicated it really well, which I should hope so. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I need to talk to this lady because this is huge for the health and safety profession. And we've got so much we can learn. We've got a prime opportunity now from coronavirus to see how our businesses and our governments and our medias, etc., etc., have all communicated through this global crisis, which we've never experienced before. Communication as a skill has been pushed to its nth degree and did we do any good at it i don't know so today's guest has just got qualifications and experience coming out of her she's an executive coach she helps some huge businesses learn how to kind of be a better leader how to communicate she's facilitating this growth as a business professional to be better and we're talking to her today all about how to communicate, to learn lessons from coronavirus, to learn lessons from how the government, how the media, and how businesses have communicated, and to take that into the future. Overall, it's just a lovely conversation, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Just before we get into it, please don't forget to check out SafePoint, one of our sponsors for this podcast, who are there to sort out your loan working needs with these uh, the three word system is just absolutely awesome if you don't know what i'm talking about you go check them out on the website linked in the description below and to sort out your personal mental well-being you can go on the online course provided by drm who also sponsor this podcast and i've done the course it's a great course and i don't think that you can be a good business leader or a health and safety professional until you sort yourself out and i'm speaking from experience there i had to do that with myself you know i don't i felt like i wasn't delivering as good enough work as what i could do because i wasn't right here I'm still not there. This is an ongoing journey. It's like continual improvement. You know what that means. You've heard it all before. So go check them out. And finally, go check out www.rebrandingsafety.com to get yourself some awesome merch. You can get yourself a sweatshirt, t-shirt, tote bag, uh, a mug. All of them are wicked. They're there to rebrand health and safety. So people won't even know you're wearing, a, you're supporting a health and safety podcast by wearing a sweatshirt. They'll just be like, nice sweatshirt, dude. Nice sweatshirt. Otherwise, let's get into part one of this two-part conversation with the communication legend, Sarah Brummett. Let's go.
grand. Sarah, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. I, uh, I invited you on because I listened to your keynote, the HSE Global Series Digital Event. I'm going to have to try and find out what he's calling that, the Digital Congress, because <laughs> the, the amount of people I've spoke to from it, and I'm, I, I think I call it something different every time. <laughs> Oh, fantastic well but, Paul does such a fabulous job so. yeah yeah he does a great job I was talking to him uh yesterday no Tuesday <laughs> I spoke to him and uh, we were talking all about kind of uh well-being and um and kind of like his his new um openness into this kind of spiritual kind of way of looking at life which is just fascinating um but yeah yes. it was interesting very very interesting bloke interesting story very interesting and very impressive yeah yeah he's done very well for himself it's interesting we inter- we interviewed him before this is we're not just going to sit here and talk about Paul by the way we will we will get into the podcast <laughs> I can waffle a little bit but um I interviewed him about a year ago when he kind of not not just started I think he'd been going for about a year with the HSC Global Series and um he'd done like I think one America one Europe one UK and um and anyway he he'd found the podcast and he was like i don't want to come on and talk about it and yeah and, and when i spoke to him this time around i said it's interesting because last time we spoke you were kind of like this this sales warrior which is the title of his book and and now it, you're like this spiritual warrior in a way like it's got this kind yeah. of fresh transition which was just fascinating yeah absolutely anyway why why don't you give us a, a quick introduction into yourself and then we, we're just going to get into essentially just talking about how we communicate and lessons from comms of covid and etc cetera, etc cetera. perfect let me do that so i'm sarah brummett i'm an executive coach a personal branding expert an author a leadership development consultant and an international speaker. I've run my own business for the last 15 years and my passion is all in and around the area of communication, executive presence, remote presence, personal branding. So that's what I do and I work with clients that are global corporate organisations and whether I work with individuals or teams, it is a constant and evolving theme i.e. how we communicate with others. Mm. It, it's interesting because I think com- communication is something that we, we're not really taught. I can't really ever remember. No. It's so vital in my profession, but I can't really ever be sat down and told, right, this is how we communicate. But yet it's on right. every single job description for my kind of role for You're health right. and safety. And it probably is for many others. I wouldn't really know, but you know, it's a, the common one liner for my profession is must be able to communicate with shop floor and board, which I think we'll talk about yes. as we go through anyway. But, yes. and, and I get a lot of people kind of come to us off the podcast and say, we really like how you, how you communicate this message over blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, no one ever taught me to communicate. Like, yeah. Is, is, is there just curious, out of my own curiosity, is there like communications degrees or, or, or courses that we can go on and things like that? So the answer is yes to both of those. And I think the point you're making is such an important one because it's, it's almost as if, you know, we, we learned a language when we were a little kid and then, and maybe we learned more than one language, but then it's almost as if that box has been ticked. You can do that. You do it every day. Now we need to focus on other skills. So you're also right with this idea that actually, particularly as we move into the workplace, but also then as we progress up and through the workplace, we don't come back to it. And yet, and of course someone like me would say this, wouldn't they? But it's it's the thing that we're doing all the time. Mm. And so we really do need to work on the skills that will enable us to do it well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You do just you get taught as a baby or as a child like how to how to speak. But then, like for me myself, I, I would say I've gone through about multiple iterations of how I communicate through through my life. I could probably pick out some real key transitions. But if I was to look at how I communicated, even down to the words and phrases and stuff I used like five years ago, I would say it's completely different to how I communicate now. Yeah. Part, partly because I'm learning new words, I'm learning new phrases, and 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 sometimes you know when I'm talking about like 
things that I don't really know what they are. And I, I would use crude examples. Now I know the name and the phrase of those from a kind of sci- yeah. scientific point of view. There's little things like that, but also yes. the tones we use and our body language and stuff as well. It's fascinating, but it's very it's self-taught, just... I, feel, I find. Yes, it is. And I think where that point comes from is this notion of we're pack animals. So actually what we're all doing we all talk in several languages. We talk the language verbally, we talk the non-verbal language, which is what you're just referring to. And to your point about self-taught, you're right, because what we're doing all the time, both at work and outside of it, is we're trying to figure out where we are. How am I doing in this space with this group, with this person? Am I, am I feeling okay? Am I feeling under pressure? Am I doing well? Am I tanking? So there is absolutely this constant sort of iterative checking going on to say, am I making sense? Is this working for me? Is Mm. this working for them? And I think what comes with that is a degree of people thinking, okay, yeah, maybe I need to be clearer or maybe I need to go get more information or maybe I need to change my approach. So there's certainly some of that going on um, to greater or lesser extents for all of us all of the time. Mm. yeah it is fascinating I, I and i've become more and more fascinated as i progress through my career of how we communicate without even communicating like that just blows my yes. mind like especially as we yeah. move into this digital era um and this kind of brings me on to the i think we'll, we'll we'll have a conversation around like lessons we can take from coronavirus but one of the lessons i've taken from this period is there's a lot of businesses that are using video now you know, we've all got the power yes. of video in our in our hands now. You know, the technology is amazing. Seeing a lot of like some CEOs or, or senior leaders that are communicating v- through video potentially to their their staff. Let's say, for example, it was like an NHS trust or something like that, and and you've got the the senior leader on a video, and that the, the message they're saying is good. Like it's probably supportive. It's like thanking the staff, etc. But yeah. I know I'm watching some of this stuff and I'm thinking what communicating more to me is the location where you are in your video. So if, yes. I'm, a, if I'm a nurse or a doctor or a HCA or cleaner or whoever, put life and family uh, at risk, working for yeah. the period of coronavirus and the video you've chosen to do is in your home office. And it, it just oh. kind of, inadvertently or kind of subconsciously for me it looks like it could subconsciously create a divide like oh yes thanks for saying thank you but you're safe in your office and now you know in your home office and i'm sitting here slaving away especially when it's now bloody hot as well and we're all sweating (laughs) (laughs) and and i just find there's so much more to how we communicate and and even now as we move on into podcasting and videos and all businesses are taking on this technology which is which is amazing but there's just now this whole new dynamic to it isn't there which is just crazy well you're right and and what you're alluding to there is this idea of context Mm. because we're now in a different frame you know we're in the frame of a screen that might be 13 by 11 or whatever the size of our technology is but we're not just seeing the person, we're seeing them against a context. And I mean, I love the example you're giving there because we, we intuit from what you've just said. We kind of go, mm, he looks like he's at home and safe. And yet the people that work for him or her are busy doing the really critical life-saving work. I'm not sure that sits well with me. We've seen with politicians, my goodness, over the last what, three months we've had loads of articles in the press on how politicians what have they got in their bookshelves you know what kind of slightly dodgy mm. art have they got behind them you know it's hysterical kinds of articles that have been written and and we pay attention to it because we can't not see it and we can't not draw connection and meaning as a result of it so i think it's so important and it's evolving it's always evolving as we know. Yeah, it, it is. It is absolutely fascinating, and and it was interesting yeah. that um, Boris Johnson's Twitter account. I don't think it was actually him. I think he's got probably got a team of of, of people for running sure. his Twitter account. I, I don't oh, think sure. they would. I don't think they would trust Boris to have his own Twitter account, if I'm honest. But um, but then other countries are teaching us that maybe 
maybe senior leaders actually do have a Twitter account. But anyway, we'll move on from that. But he, he tweeted uh, this kind of article, that not article, sorry, this poster that had been... Um, that had obviously been designed by the, well, whatever team, the art team or whatever. And it was about getting people to wear face coverings more. So we're we're trying to, you know, in safety we stand, I call it third party protection because it doesn't protect yourself, it protects other people. And they were saying, you know, you need to wear this and you need to protect other people. And a a friend and a colleague of mine, he, he tweeted back to them and said, maybe if we saw some of the politicians wearing these face coverings, we might actually start to do it. So yet again, yeah. we're communicating a completely different message to what we're saying by what we're doing. Absolutely. But Absolutely. Ha- go on, go on. Go for it. Well, what I was saying, and forgive me for jumping in, but I think what you're alluding to there is this critical thing about, I call it the say-do ratio. You know, I'm gonna if I'm say if I'm going to say it, then I need to do it. If I'm going to recommend it, then I need to follow it. It's that to me is where integrity sits. Mm. Because otherwise, again, what there is is do as I say, but not as I do going on yeah, here. Yeah. And I think in these times more than ever, we pay such attention to symbolism. And that's what you're alluding to there as well. Mm. You know, we're talking about the symbol that wearing a face mask represents. It's not about me it's about protecting you well hang on a minute i'm now looking at someone who actually isn't protecting me because they're choosing not to do it and we pick up on it at lightning speed yeah that's great and i I was going to say that you you said it but i was going to say that saying of you know do as i say not as i do uh which is fascinating because my mum used to say don't you ever smoke and she smoked and then by the time I was like 14, I was nicking her fags and going down the garage and smoking. <laughs> Thank God I've quit now. But do you know what I mean? It's that, yeah. it's that thing. It's that it's integrity. It's exactly that you're spot on there, I think. Anyway, yeah. how, how, how have you found from your kind of position, the communication that we've had like through this process? So like, I'll give you, I'll give you my kind of opinion as a, mm-hmm. as a safety professional. But in the beginning... I thought there was one thing they did quite well and there was one thing they did a little bit bad. I feel they scared a lot of people that were potentially not at risk. I felt like they used fear as their main driver as opposed to like being caring and empathetic and stuff like that. I think I felt like the main driver of the nation was was fear mongering, which to be honest is probably how we operate anyway, especially with the media. So I, I didn't really like that. It was the... It was a feeling that if you leave your house, you will get this and you'll most probably die. I don't think that was ever directly communicated, but it felt to me like it was indirectly communicated. The thing I thought they did quite reasonably well was the daily updates. I thought that Mm -hmm. same place, same time, kind of reasonably consistent message was quite good. And then something that me and you have spoke about before was that that kind of power of three i think them picking the stay at home save lives and protect the nhs i thought that was very good i thought that was quite clever then towards towards now as they're trying to allow people back to work and loosen things i I understand this is all this was always going to be a real challenging thing to do because you've created so much fear in people and we're doing something, especially in first world countries like the UK, where you know, we've never been restricted like this before. And, we, you know, we've had our mortality in our face. We've had restrictions placed on us. We've never had this before. Yeah. And no. it's always going to be really challenging. But I felt like it started to lack now. It started to go loose and woolly. And it's just, you know, I've stopped watching the daily updates. I just felt like no. they've... They've lost all commitment to me towards the end. That, that's just my kind yeah. of overview of it from a non-expert opinion, I suppose. But I'll be interested to see what you thought of how we've communicated through this process. Well, it's really interesting because if I think about right at the beginning, when we, we were actually becoming aware that this was a crisis, mm. that actually happened really fast. I mean, mm. I know it feels like the beginning of March was a million years ago. But at the beginning of March, we were still, you know, I was still traveling on planes. We were all still doing everything that we now haven't done for 14 or 15 weeks. So 
when we became aware that it was a crisis, actually even before the government started doing the daily briefing, what any leader or any organisation needs to do when we're talking about crisis communication is communicate frequently. So actually, right at the beginning, the government weren't. And it was the pressure and it was the thirst for information by the press and by the public that caused them to bring in the daily briefing, as you say. And the same time, the same uh, format is exactly what people need. Now, then what they did was this notion to the point about three that you said, they had a clear, simple three-part message. You know, stay at home, protect the NHS, stay fires. In the context of communication, if we are going to get people to take action, our message has to be simple. Complexity doesn't work when it comes to communication because I've stopped listening, I don't get it, I've got a million questions, I don't understand, what are you talking about? So, what you're saying, James, about that kind of message that they repeated, 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 it was so effective because it was so simple. It was also effective because it explained the reason why. So, stay at home, why should I do that? So the notion that actually, even when you scratch away at the components of the three-part message, there are two really clear reasons why I should stay at home. We need to protect the NHS from becoming overwhelmed and we need to save lives. And again, when I think it comes to communication, if you're not clear on the why, I won't buy the what. It was Simon Sinek who said, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Mm. So I think that that is part of the construct of the three-part message was also what made it effective. Then what happened was we had these daily briefings, we had the press asking the questions. In crisis communication, what people need is the opportunity to ask questions and ask a follow-up. So what was happening originally was every uh, press uh, representative, whether it was broadcast, online media, was being told, you can ask one question, I'll answer it, then we'll move on. But actually what people need is, I want to follow up. I want to scrutinize what you've just said. And in crisis communication, you've got to make yourself available to be able to respond to the follow-up questions. Start with they didn't, and then we pushed for, for them to do so. That is classic crisis communication. We're not gonna sit here and go, oh, okay, I'm happy with the answer. We're going to say, I've heard your answer, and now I want to ask something else. So I think when they made those iterations, it's constantly moving in the direction of being better as a communicator. Now, we all know that then the process of locking down is a lot easier as a message to communicate than the process of unlocking. When you were saying that, you know, you stop listening to the daily briefings, it's just not working for you, it's, it's really something that disengages you. I think that reflects not only the experience for a lot of people, but it also reflects the challenge when it comes to communication. And what I mean by that is, how do you engage people around a message that's a lot more complicated? There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of volatility. There's frankly a lot of, I haven't got the answers. And by the way, no one has really. Mm. So you throw all of that into the mix. And when you then say, okay, what is it I really want to communicate to, to the public? It's incredibly challenging. Now, I'm not defending the government, please don't misunderstand me. I think what they need to do is just make their communication a lot shorter and clearer and simpler to understand. You listen to anybody who's asked a question and they go on and on and on and on. So it's this length of answer, it's the not relevant, the irrelevance of their answer yeah. that causes us to kind of go, oh, you didn't answer my question. Those are two uh, huge mistakes to make when it comes to communication. You didn't answer my question and you went on and on and on. I don't get what you're talking about. So I think that's where they've been failing. 
I think the other piece that I would say, and all leaders have to do this, there's, there's, James, there's no company, there's no team, there's no chief executive, there's no professional anywhere in the world that had a playbook for COVID-19. Let's just be clear about yes. this. You know, no organization did. So I think what we need to do is start from there. You know, start from there, and because that's the first place you can, in your communication, start to build some credibility. Say something that is a pure truth, even if it is a truth which is frightening. And it is, because look at the consequences of the fact that no one anywhere had a playbook for this kind of global pandemic. If you start from a pure truth, here's what you buy as a communicator. You buy my willingness to want to listen to what's coming next. So I think, again, where we go wrong is we say, well, I can't quite tell you the real truth. Because if I do, I worry that I've lost control. And actually what I would say is, if you're gonna be a really great communicator, you've got to know that your job is to build trust in the audience through your communication. Because if you build trust through honesty, then you can influence them. If you don't build trust, you're not going to be able to influence them. That's the bottom line. And so I think that's the challenge that the, the government has got in terms of getting back on track. It's that erosion of trust, which means that the audience is going to be, the public is going to be less likely to be influenced by them. It's the same in business. So I think those are some of the things that, that really come up for me. I think the other thing I would say, having kind of gone a bit gloomy, what I think that they did that was really good was repetition when it came to communication. And that's the thing, it's the broken record technique. You've got to say it again and again and again and again because people don't get it. You know, even though I've heard it three, four, five, seven, ten times, it takes a really long time for people to realise, oh, you mean me. I need to stay at home, I need to protect the NHS, and that way I'm going to save lives. Mm. So the sense of repetition with their first three-part message, they did bring in Lee not so much later on yeah it is it's, it's there's just there's a lot i want to kind of get into there actually one one mm. i i really like what you're saying about like that it's essentially it's kind of like i i would call it that leaders you need to be comfortable to be vulnerable a little bit and and feel Absolutely. vulnerable is is and yeah. it's a great example would actually be who my wife works for and they doing is it weekly I think it's daily. I'm sure they're doing, it's either weekly or daily. It's a very frequent, uh, basically open Zoom calls. Like everyone yeah. in the business is invited and it's a big bloody business. Everyone is invited. Yeah, it was, um, and it's a, it's just a free q and I think you can ask, I think their mics are, everyone's mics are muted, but the but the chat yeah. box is completely free. So everyone can write their comments yeah. in there. There's a facilitator who picks out the, the, the questions and obviously not everyone's going to get answered. You know, we're not, we're not saying that, well, I don't think either of us are saying, you know, you're covering hundreds, maybe potentially thousands of employees. We don't expect to answer everyone's questions, but at least give the opportunity. But there was a couple of things she was saying that was really impressive, like, there was leaders going onto these calls who were there to be the so-called experts. And they were saying, we don't know the answer to that question, but we're going to endeavor to find out. And you know what? I was there taught, I was taught that as a trainer, like years ago when I was taught to train, you know, don't be afraid to use the room because you're not the expert at everything and you never could be. And don't be right. afraid to say, I don't know. You'll get more trust, yeah. more respect. And I feel like, there's and i get to my point for this one bit is i think that when we're talking about the government and how they've kind of dealt with the, the questions from from the media it i think it's a two-pronged issue in my opinion i agree with everything you said how they respond to the questions a lot of the time is just like oh, great thanks you've not answered my question you've just repeated the same dross no. at me all the time you know, it's the same when you listen to prime minister's questions. It's like the answer is not, this is what we do. This is what you didn't do as labor or whoever we're arguing with. It's just a, it's an absolute mess. And we're not communicating yeah. any message whatsoever, but it's interesting to yeah. get to my, to get to my point. When we look at work from say somebody like Todd Conklin, who, you know, he said that 
the power is in the question, not in the answer. Correct. And sometimes Correct. I find the questions that we're getting from media don't reflect what I want to know. They don't reflect like Laura Koonsberg just attacking Boris doesn't does not bring me any benefit. Like, and and a great example of that would be when he first did the lockdown and he had the uh, the the kind of Q and A the next day. Um, I watched that lockdown video and I was like, "Whoa, shit!" Like nearly everybody's not going to work. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah. And this is a great yeah. example, I think, of how what you said that we need to be clear and simple in what we're saying. What Boris said wasn't very clear, and I'm a mm-hmm. like pretty well experienced kind of risk-based professional, and even yeah. I thought nobody's going to work. And the next day, there was some painters and decorators next door, and I'm like, "What are they doing at work?" Went to LinkedIn, and we had this big debate on LinkedIn. And when we looked at it, somebody sent me the guidance that was much more helpful, that was written down. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what Boris meant. But none of the questions we got from the media were that. Sorry, Boris, can no. you just clarify who's going to work and who's not going to work? What can we do? What can't yeah. we do? It was just attack, attack, yeah. attack. Absolutely. James, you, you're absolutely right in what you say. And I think there's some really important things that from a communication standpoint, this is what I really focus on. So number one, intent. Mm. So you talk about Prime Minister's question time, you talk about the daily briefings. What's the intent of my communication? Is it to point score? Is it Mm. to get a soundbite on Twitter and 10 million likes? Is it to get a clip played again and again and again? I think that there's a real challenge with intent when it comes to whether it's PMQs, Prime Minister's Question Time, or whether it's the questions asked by journalists in the daily briefing. And if the intent isn't pure and isn't in the service of others, which is a really important component, I think, of leadership and influencing, that I'm I'm influencing in the service of others. That because again that helps to build trust, integrity and credibility. It's at the moment, it's in the service of self. Mm. You know, I'm going to ask this, what I think is going to be a soundbite question that's going mm. to be played again and again and again, and someone's going to clip it and put it all over social media. Well, as you say, the public, I'm not interested in the number of likes you get on your social media feed. What I need is thoughtful, relevant, clear questions, mm. which takes me to the second piece that you're talking about there. It's one of my pet peeves. And that is that if we think about it, this is a journalist's bread and butter. And I'm making any kind of political statement here, and I'm not talking about any news media channel in particular, I put them all in exactly the same category. Mm. Whether you are on the radio, whether you are on television, whether you are online, It is a tour de force of how not to ask useful questions. They ask six questions at once. They intersperse it with their own opinion. They go off on these ridiculous tangents. So the consequence of all of that is these questions that as their length, these questions are like minutes long. Well, I can't remember what the heck you said because that was six questions ago. So that's the first thing that drives me bananas. And this is for people for whom questions are supposed to be their day job. But as as professionals, the very best questions are, first of all, it's one question at a time. Secondly, it's a question with a clear intent. I want to understand, I want to explore, I want to scrutinize, I want to challenge, I want to check, I want to test, I want to extend, I want to get creative. You know, pure intent as opposed to, because all of those examples are in the service of others, as opposed to, hopefully, I'll get on some kind of social media trending on Twitter, you name it. And I think that's my challenge. And I see that all day long in business. You know, if we want to ask questions that further the conversation, don't ask seven at once. Mm. Because what people do when they answer it is they tend to answer the last question Mm. 
Whereas usually the first question you ask was the most important. Secondly, don't intersperse it with all of your opinion. Because are you looking to understand what someone's perspective is? Or are you looking to try and tell them what their perspective is? So there's loads within that that I think as a skill set, we are terrible, absolutely dreadful at it. And we need to get a lot better. Because if we can ask really great questions, boy, you can shift people. Mm. You can really make them stop and think. You can really challenge their perception. You can really help them unlock blind spots. Do you know what? I never thought of that. That's the power of really good questions as opposed to blah, 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 blah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I would say I, I would wholeheartedly agree because that's a lesson that I've had since doing, we've been doing this podcast, I think coming up to two years at the end of this year. And we, we've gone through, I've personally gone through that exact transition when I've sat in front of somebody and I still do it now. I still do it now, if I'm honest. Yeah. And, and maybe podcast is a little bit different to challenging Boris Johnson. <laughs> but it, it's like, I, I'm trying to, one, I, I, I try to get my opinion across because I think it, it is my podcast and I want to I want to be like, you know, this is what I think, but what do you think? Yeah. And, and kind of that use that to spur the conversation. Feel, feel free to give me some kind of feedback. I'll happily take it. <laughs> But the, the second, <laughs> the second part is that the amount of times I have, I have asked somebody three or four questions in a row, and and then I say yeah. it, and the second I finish, you just see them go, uh, uh, and they just answer the last one, and I'm thinking, well, Correct. actually, it was the first one that I really wanted you to, because I was so eager to get that first question out, that you was bet. the one I wanted, and then I just kind of carried on talking, and it, even sometimes I'm like James stop 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 talking just just stop talking and and i think you're right i think that is a really key lesson but it, i suppose we come back to mm. my first point when we first started talking is we're not taught this no no, no one's taught this it's crazy no, isn't we're not. It? and there's so much to it and that's also what fascinates me there's a richness to this there's a texture there's an application there's a range of strategies and skills tools and techniques there's endless applications. There's also subtlety, there's nuance, there's creativity, there's science, there's poetry that sits behind communication. And you're right, we're not taught it. And yet in any role, what I say is, it doesn't matter whether you work in fast moving consumer goods, you work in retail, you work in an industrial business, you work in a digital business, you're in the business of communication, mm. full stop. Mm. And it is in a context, okay, it might be because I'm a supply chain specialist or I'm a health and safety specialist or I'm a learning and development specialist, whatever it is. But actually what you do and the business you're fundamentally in is the business of communication. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would agree. It's in, it's in just, it's, it's everywhere, isn't it? How we talk to our children, our parents, our colleagues, our managers, our, uh, uh, yeah, reporting lines, et cetera, et cetera. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a shameless sponsorship clip. In all seriousness, guys, we've partnered up with DRM Group. You know David McLean, has been on the podcast time and time again. We absolutely support his message and he's got a brand new online course to help you. I'm gonna let him tell you all about it now. The brain can be trained to think and behave differently, to think in more positive and optimistic ways. And there are steps that you can take to train your brain to feel good for good. And we call this lasting positive change. Through our 16-day program, which includes daily videos and action sheets, taking you no longer than 15 minutes to complete a day, you will learn how to move away from thoughts of anger, hopelessness, and frustration to a place of mental well-being and positivity. Okay, guys. So if you're interested, you can click the link below and get a discount, special rebranded safety discount. Full disclosure, we get a little bit kickback from that. So at the same time as improving your mental health, you can support your favorite health and safety podcast and YouTube channel. I'll let you get back into the content. I'd be interested to kind of get your point on like the... the considering the audience that we're talking to and and probably more importantly like the kind of preconceptions they might have of say me the person communicating the message so 
if we were to if we were to kind of stick with the example of coronavirus, if you really don't like Boris Johnson, it mm. automatically becomes harder for Boris's communications to have impact on you. I think, and I think this is quite pre- sure. pre- pre- prevalent. Yeah, this is quite prevalent in in um, in in the safety world because the profession no matter who, who wants to deny it it's there there is a perception of our profession we we come with uh, there is a reputation that we are a certain person a certain way we're here to make your life a living hell we, we're not we don't want you to do your job we want you to do checklists and we want you to stop doing work etc that's not what we like but yeah. that is the perception no, of course so people have made their minds up about me before i've even come to sight so I sometimes I try really hard to try and preempt that and, and kind of work out who my audience is and what maybe what the culture is like. Or so if Boris is like, well, actually, maybe I need to communicate in a couple of different ways. Like the, this comms is targeted for kind of the people that voted for conservative. This is for the Labour voters. This is for the UKIP voters and so on and so forth. We do we have to adjust to our audience and if we do how important is that there you go look i've just asked two questions i'm failing already. it's all good it's all good james and you're amongst friends here so do we have to adjust yes absolutely but how do we then becomes the question yeah. and i think there's a couple of things i'd say as backdrop before i give you my answer the first is that what you're talking about there is bias Mm. And bias is everywhere. You know, there's a bias in terms of a particular profession. There's a bias in terms of gender or age or topic or it, the world is full of bias. And so therefore, it's first having an awareness of it and, and being accepting of that reality is a really good place to start as a communicator, because actually my job is to be successful in my communication in spite of the bias, as opposed to getting hung up on, well, it's not fair and we need to change people's biases. Mm. We're humans, we have bias. So I think that's sort of the first thing to say. I think the second thing to say in terms of this notion of how do we do this and flexing it is one of my expressions, and I'm a woman of expressions, is the quality of my communication is in the response it gets. Mm, so if I think that I've been spectacularly clear who cares if the audience thinks I didn't get any of that I I, I didn't understand any of that and by the way I don't agree so I think the notion that we've always got with communication an immediate instant feedback mechanism to tell us you know was I successful our opportunity is am I reading the room and realizing that And then I think it links to the third thing that you alluded to there, which is this notion of preparation. Mm. Because irrespective of my bias, if I'm going to be an effective communicator, I should be able to take a message and I should be able to flex it based on the priority, the issue, Mm. the top of mind concerns of my audience. Again, it links back to this notion of being a leader who acts in the service of others. I'm thinking about my audience, what they need from this communication as opposed to, well, what do I need? You know, I need you to do what I want. I need to set it in that context. So I think there's something about being clear on what's top of mind for them? You know, what do they care about? But also then flexing my style because actually we've all got preferences around that. Some of us want lots of detail some of us don't some Mm. of us want to go fast some of us want to take our time some of us just want to be told some of us want to scrutinize at length so we've got to be flexible as well and i think that you know having said what i said a moment ago about the richness and the expansive nature of communication if we don't prepare and if we don't rehearse that's the other thing you know, there's a big cognitive difference between my thought process around, okay, so I'm going to say this, then I'm going to say this, then I'm going to say this. And then the mechanical process of, they're all looking at me now, I'm on camera because we're all not in the same room at the moment. You know, they're all looking at me online. Okay, I now need to say this, and I need to be authentic, but confident and authoritative and blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. Out comes a load of nonsense. 
So if we don't rehearse it and build muscle memory and fluency and agility around how we sound, then that, that alone is a reason for people to think, she don't know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. And we don't do that. People don't rehearse key messages. So then they get in a real pickle. And again, you can hear that every day on any newslet, uh, news outlet of your choice. And you can certainly hear it in most meetings in your organization, by the way. You can hear it when people don't know what the hell they're talking about mm-hmm. and they haven't rehearsed the message. So I think that's also really important around ensuring that we drive and build flexibility into our communication toolkit. Excuse me, I'm just going to open my window because I'm sweating. I feel like Go I'm for it. Is it boiling, James? Ugh. Oh. Goodness sake. I closed it because sometimes the next door's kids play out there, but do you know what? I'd rather just have some kids in the background than be perspirating. It's all good. But actually, there alone, James, you've you've hit on something else in relation to communication, just by what we've been talking about there. And I think it's really important. Because we're doing all of this remotely now, There's we've got an intimacy with each other that we wouldn't normally have. So Mm. you can see my office, you wouldn't never normally do that. Mm. I can see yours. You need to open a window because it's boiling hot and 33 degrees outside and the kids may be playing. I don't know if Amazon's going to arrive, you know, Mm. who who the hell knows? Someone's gonna come knocking on my door. My point is that, again, it links back to something we said right at the beginning, which is about vulnerability, authenticity. Mm. We're all doing this. So let's let's not have the facade of, you know, crikey, I hope no one notices that trains go by, you know, behind me, because they do, because it's the reflection of me living opposite a train line. There goes one right on cue, sensation. <laughs> just about to that's say this one that's now. that's where I live. <laughs> exactly. So that's the reality of where I live. You know, yeah. so I think there's something about being real, mm. too, that's important in the context of people building trust in us, believing in us, and as a consequence, being influenced by our communication. Definitely, I think I think authenticity is is just so important. The amount of people that ring, like, drop me a message or ring me up or whatever, and just ask for advice. Well, James, we're going to do a podcast, and I'm like, great, get going. What do you want to What do you want to know? And they're like, oh, what about this? And I was talking to Jay Allen the other day, who runs another podcast in America. It was a long time ago, actually. And we were talking about authenticity, but we were talking about it from the point of view of what we do in podcasting. So I I will edit out very little. So, you know, unless somebody says to me, can you edit that out? But I'll edit out very little. You know, I normally leave, I'm I'm just going to open a window. I'll leave that in because I just feel like if you, if you ever listen to like Joe Rogan's podcast, for example, right? Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you're in the room. You feel like you're a fly exactly. on the wall because, you know, I remember exactly. listening to, uh, he interviewed Lance Armstrong, right? And Lance Armstrong, halfway through, he was like, what do you do if someone needs a pee? And, and Joe's just like, you just get up and go for a pee. And he's like, do you, do you stop recording? He's like, no, go on, off you go. And they just carry on yeah. talking. I'm like, that's so real. It's and, real, isn't it? Yeah. And you just feel like you're there, you're having a conversation with these amazing people and you just feel like you're there. Someone knocks over a cup, leave it in. That's what happens. Don't just be like, oh, we're going to have to start again. And when we go into, take that into the business world, there's so much now around, you know, I've, I've worked for a business that had tone of voice training so that your tone of voice fits the brand. And I'm like, no, no, my tone of voice is my tone of voice. That's what makes me authentic. That's what makes me me. I don't want to become a clone of your of your brand. No. Uh, surely you've employed all of these people because of the diversity of tones of voice and, and cognitive thinking, et cetera, et cetera. And I just feel like we've become so brand aware that we, we've now become mm. so much less authentic in a way. Yes. Well, it's a really it's a really great point because in the context of brand, and obviously particularly given that's part of the title of this podcast, you know, I talk mm. about brand in relation to personal brand or leadership brand. And the first thing that I say is that because like everything in life, we, we focus on, you know, when it was done badly in the past. You know, we've all got to sound the same, look the same, accent. No, we don't. So that's the first thing I say. Let's get clear. We are not all trying to be the same. What we're trying to be is the best version of us. So 
to me, it's not about, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's not about trying to be uniform. It's about trying to be authentic because mm. that's what people want. We don't, as you say, you know, why on earth would I want to try and sound like somebody else? I mean, that's, I don't even understand that. When I talk to leaders about their personal brand or their leadership brand, what I say is the most successful brands, number one, they're absolutely authentic. They're unique. They're individual. You know, you might as well focus on you because everyone else is taken, I think is the, the famous yeah. expression. But also, they are about highlighting the best bits of you that you want the world to get about you. Mm. That's what a great brand is. It's not right, well, we need for you to be more professional mm. or we need you to be more impactful. Okay, what does that mean? What is it that in terms of what we, we need to help bring out in you, how would that help you be as a consequence more impactful or more professional? It's so not that. And I get really frustrated when I hear people kind of saying, well, you know, this is something fake and sounds a bit inauthentic. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the complete opposite of that. This is about pulling out the best version of you that you want the world to get about you. That is authenticity. And now we're overlaying it with some strategy. You know, I want people to know that I'm different. I want people to know that I'm passionate. Brilliant, let's bring that out. As opposed to, we all need to be professional. Mm. We all need to be confident. That's just nonsense. And I don't agree with it, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. And I think the first, the first person that comes to mind is people like Elon Musk, who is just so, right. completely out there that that's him. You know, he loves, he loves what mm. he does. And, you know, one of his companies yeah. is called The Boring Company for a reason that he finds yeah. it boring. So he just said, this is The Boring Company. So what do you want to call it? Just call it The Boring Company. I'm like, that's so him. Perfect. Yeah, it's so him. And when I've listened to a couple of his interviews and stuff like that, I just, I feel like, and I hope it's true, but I feel like I'm genuine, I'm listening to a genuine version of him. Um, mm. and, and that just yes. it just makes me like him. I'm not saying I, I bought a Tesla or anything because they're way too expensive, but that aside, it's... <laughs> a chunk of change, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, so um, anyway... <laughs> Okay, guys, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sarah. What do you think? Do you think the government did very well during coronavirus? I stick to what I said. I kind of thought they did really well in the beginning. And then they, they sort of didn't really shift or pivot towards towards the end. And it, it seems to have gone a bit grey now. And it's always going to have been quite grey as we're trying to return to work. It's a very dynamic situation. So I understand that challenge. But at the same time, I felt like they could do a bit better. A bit more clarity was needed, maybe. So what did you think? How, how do you think the government have done communicating wise? It's really interesting to have these conversations. Let's not get into the politics of it all. Let's just talk about the communication of it in the comments below to help each other out. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget to check out SafePoint DRM and Rebranding Safety merch because they're all just cool. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week in part two of our conversation with Sarah all about communication safe.